from the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Thomas, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. In 2019, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a report indicating that 37.3 million Americans had diabetes and that of these individuals, 8.5 million were living with the disease but were undiagnosed. November is National Diabetes Month, and this episode of NP Pulse is dedicated to discussing cutting-edge treatments for this disease. Fortunately, diabetes management has advanced significantly in recent years. New scientific research, emerging technologies, and evolving healthcare approaches are changing the way we think about the diabetes epidemic and how we, as healthcare providers, can best treat patients with diabetes. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Angela Thompson. She currently serves as AANP's Region 5 Director and is a family nurse practitioner specializing in diabetes care for adults and adolescents. Welcome to NP Pulse. Thank you very much for having me. Well, uh, Dr. Thompson, I hope you don't mind if I call you Angie. I've known you for years, and uh, this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, Before we broach this topic for today's episode, which is diabetes, I want our audience to learn a little bit more about you. You've got so much going on. Tell us, first of all, though, um, how you became a nurse practitioner and specifically an FNP dealing with and specializing in diabetes care for adults and adolescents. Well, it started back in 2000. I took a position at the local hospital as a diabetes educator and the program director for the community diabetes education program we had there. And it was for both inpatients and outpatients. So it was my job to kind of coordinate all the education that was being provided, including some of the resources that would be used. I really loved my job. I felt like it was so fulfilling being able to touch patients and improve their lives with diabetes. And it hit home for me as well because my cousin had type 1 diabetes and I saw her grow up with it and I saw what struggles she went through and my aunt trying to care for her as a parent. So I felt like I was giving back to her. So I served in that role for about four years. And in that role, we did not have endocrinology in our area. And I was being asked over and over again from physicians to help manage their patients with diabetes because they felt like I had such extensive knowledge in my field. So I started utilizing protocols through our medicine executive committee to do some basic adjustments and medications. And at that time, that's when that realization occurred to me that I could do more if I became a nurse practitioner. So that was kind of my drive to go into that role. And here I am doing it all and and the expert on diabetes care. You've you've provided so much as far as Um, really giving back to the profession as well. I mean, you've been, uh, obviously you serve as a regional director for the AANP Board of Directors, and I want to get into that in a little bit. But you've also been a great contributor to the body of 
education and continuing education offerings that we've been able to offer through AANP to our members and, and um, guests at our conferences, but also you, you've been a nationwide speaker about diabetes and really sharing all of that information. Diabetes has changed so much as far as um, our knowledge of it and the medications and things like that since you and I both became nurse practitioners over 20 years ago. Um, talk about that for me, what it's like you know, now caring for diabetics as compared to back in the good old days when all we had was the, um, the sulfa drugs. Well, now I think it's so much easier for nurse practitioners to be able to provide patients with those resources that they need to succeed in managing their diabetes with the inception of continuous glucose monitors. I mean, that's really revolutionized the treatment because you have access to glucose levels all day long without having those patients have to test with a blood glucose monitor in order to be able to achieve getting those readings. And it really helps the patient and the practitioners be able to see what variables affect glucose levels and therefore have more of a precision medicine approach on selecting medications as well as being able to make adjustments ongoing. Additionally, you have insulin pumps now. That has significantly changed the ability to provide the correct amount of insulin at the right time without overdosing essentially on insulin and causing critical hypoglycemia. They have the capability now to look at continuous glucose monitoring data and self-adjust throughout the day. So it allows that patient with diabetes to be able to live their life without constantly having to look at their glucose levels and make it a full-time job, essentially trying to manage them so they're in the healthy range. So they're not only able to continuously monitor their glucose, but they themselves can make adjustments with the insulin pumps rather than having to stick their fingers all the time, as well as give themselves repeated injections throughout the day. Absolutely. And then there's so much that's evolved with the oral medications as well, right? Absolutely. Just looking back, when I first came out of nursing school in the early 1990s, there were essentially three medications available, and that included metformin, the sulfonylureas, and pioglitazone, and um, rosioglitazone, which is now not prescribed very often. That was it. And there were just a handful of insulin types available. So now when you look at the options available, I mean, you almost have to have a complex chart <laughs> to be able to determine the appropriate selection because you're really wanting to try to evaluate that patient, any comorbidities they have. You're wanting to look at their current circumstances, cost, um, so many factors to help you select from the varying options. And now we have medications that can help reduce the risk for progression of diabetes. We have medications that can protect a patient's cardiovascular system, renal system. So it's just exploded. And it's going to even become more you're going to have more options available. There's so many medications coming down the pipeline in the next couple of years. It's such an exciting time. 
to be able to take care of the diabetic patients. And you're on the inside track of all these, all the research I know, and, and you're aware of all these things. Um, and then I remember when GLP-1s came out and, and we were, you might have been there, I, I was sitting in a, um, a product theater uh, session at our national conference, and we had a speaker that was talking about this this new drug for diabetes that oh you also may lose a little bit of weight with it and um, doesn't cause hypoglycemia. I was thinking, heck, I want that drug. You know why can't why can't I take that? <laughs> um, but it, you know these new medications have been truly amazing in the the role of diabetes care. Do we know? Um, the effects now, do we know the statistics on the impact that all of these new drugs have had as far as um, reducing risk and lowering mortality? Absolutely. In particular, with cardiovascular mortality and morbidity, that can be reduced significantly with the with some of the GLP-1 injectables. So it's not every GLP-1 that's on the market, but with the vast majority they show a risk reduction for cardiovascular disease, for congestive heart failure, for having a death associated with having an MI, with the incidence of having an MI, and the list goes on and on. They also have been shown now, and so this is a little bit more recent, to have favorable effects on the renal system. So lower risk of progression to kidney disease, proteinuria, And they can also facilitate weight loss, which weight loss is significantly associated with less risk for complications from diabetes. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that some of these medications, the GLP-1s, have a weight loss indication. So they're demonstrating such good outcome with weight loss that they've got that indication now as a separate indication. So being able to be prescribed for people without diabetes. And, you know, we know so much now as far as pre-diabetes and the importance of treating that. Things have come just such a long way with everything. What are the statistics? Going back a little bit on diabetes, you know, there are millions of people in this country that live with diabetes every, every day. And I'm sure um, there are millions of people as well who, who don't even know they have diabetes or prediabetes. And, and I, I would relate a lot of that also to access to care issues and, and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. So social determinants of health are definitely be, and they have been studied as it relates to the incidence of diabetes, progression from prediabetes to diabetes, and even diabetes complications, having inadequate access to food, inadequate access to opportunities for exercise. So having parks in your area, having sidewalks, those are important in being able to prevent the progression of diabetes, ensuring that you have insurance coverage for medications, you know, that's associated with poor outcomes if somebody is uninsured or underinsured. And then income, you know, certainly income is associated with poor health outcomes. Those individuals who are in a lower class, they struggle the most with access to medications to primary care providers, those who live in rural areas. There's a lot of healthcare deserts out there. It's definitely an area that we need to do better. Yeah, exactly. And I know that in the areas 
the health professional shortage areas, the HIPSAs, uh, we do see higher numbers of diabetes in those areas. And it, there's a direct correlation with that. Um, you also do work with adolescents as well, which I think is very, very interesting. So tell me more about that. I do. And going back to when I first got involved in diabetes care and management, I would attend diabetes camp as a staff nurse. And then when I became an NP, I became one of the providers there. Oh, like a summer camp. Yeah. So I volunteered in that capacity. I took additional roles as I gained more experience. So I became one of the pump experts, insulin pump experts, and with continuous glucose monitoring. So I would write the policies that everybody followed within the camp as it relates to children when they were coming in with those devices. Then I became the medical director. Wow. As a nurse practitioner, the very first medical director that they had. That's exciting. Yeah. So that was back in 2013. And so I was able to provide a safe environment, one that was cutting edge. So we would allow adolescents to participate, children and adolescents, to participate at camp that had the latest devices. We were able to care for them. And for kids that have diabetes... That really helps provide that support they need sometimes through their awkward teenage Mm. years. Having the ability to connect and network with other children that have the same condition that they have, that they can really identify with. Because sometimes these kids attend school and they don't know anybody with diabetes. They're the only one. Exactly. So having this support group is huge. And And seeing that firsthand, I mean... I can tear up just by thinking about my experiences with the kids. And that also fueled my desire to want to provide health care for them outside of the camp experience. So that's why in my practice, I see children as young as 10 and I see adults as old as 100. Wow, that's amazing. And you're able to tailor their care based on their individual needs. Absolutely. That's really, really exciting. That should be the minimum expectation for a provider caring for someone with diabetes. Well, exactly. That's 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 the standard really is is meeting the needs of each individual patient and, you know, taking the time to understand where they come from, what their challenges are, what their barriers are, and and working through that with them as their partner in care. Yeah, it's really important to understand their health beliefs, the context of how their ethnic and cultural or culture, I should say, impacts their health care, understanding their access. Um, have they had barriers? Most of the time they've had multiple by the time they've gotten to me. And it's negatively affected them. I have patients that have a lack of trust in healthcare because of the experiences to date. And so really trying to work with them on that, hearing them, they need to be heard. Yep, they need to be heard. And then working on a plan together. It should be a really good sounding relationship between the patient and the provider. And the decision making should be a group or combined between that patient and that provider. It shouldn't be a dictatorship. It needs to be shared decision making. Absolutely. And in primary care, um, primary care can really manage diabetes. It's just a matter of the comfort level of each individual provider, what they, what they understand, what they know, what they're willing to do. And certainly for many patients, their healthcare access may only be primary care. 
what are some what are some resources that you would recommend to primary care providers if they really want to know and understand a diabetes workflow or you know are there good flow charts out there that say if the patient has this use this medication etc yeah there's actually a handful that are even my go-tos because I need to stay up to date all the time. So the number one resource I use is the American Diabetes Association Standards of Medical Care. It is available free to anyone. It is constantly being updated, so they call it a living document. It is published every year. However, any groundbreaking evidence or changes are automatically uploaded. So if I were to go on their website and look at it, it's going to be the latest and greatest. The other resource is the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. They have really great charts and quick tip sheets available for providers that are caring for patients with diabetes. ADA also has some of those charts, especially as it pertains to medication selection, as it pertains to comorbidities and selecting those medications, which ones might be more associated with weight loss versus weight neutral or weight gain, and then cost and things like that. And then thirdly, I think it's very important that they have the ability to look up the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists. So I think if they're utilizing all three of those sources and they all are f- available to anyone, I, th- I think they'll have a really good package to be able to stay up to date. That's great. And you are also a co- the co-chair, if I'm uh, not mistaken, of the AANP endocrinology community, which is our online special membership group that nurse practitioners can join if they are Uh, specifically related to uh, or interested in diabetes and wanting to learn more and share more and um, meet with their peers who have like-minded interests. Is that correct? It was. I just stepped down from that position. I held that role for four years, still involved in that uh, group. It's a wonderful place to be able to get additional information from other providers who are working in that space. There are also a lot of students, though, that are involved in that group. And I think for them, through my interactions with them, is they feel like it gives them a lot of guidance. So they actively have a place to be able to not only learn, they have access to the tools available. There's a lot of resources that are uploaded within that SPG but also the ability to network with individuals who are currently in this space. That's great. A a great resource for students um, and uh, those that may may have recently graduated that still want to learn and and want to learn from the best. I mean, obviously your involvement, you're you're nationally known as as a diabetes expert. So I know your involvement is vital to that group. And that's so, so important. And so I encourage, you know, all nurse practitioners, whatever your interest is, I I say, you know, obviously join AANP, but take it a step further and join uh, uh, one of the, you know, dozens of communities of interest, whether it's, you know, endocrinology, cardiovascular, obesity, whatever their their clinical interest is, join those communities because that's really where you can share great um, evidence-based information and, you know, bounce questions off your colleagues and things like that. I think it's a great opportunity for all. 
I agree. And actually, I'm a member of over four of them. And I feel like even though I'm not a specialist in urgent care and in in emergency, I still belong to that group because there are times when I will get those calls. I will get those calls from my patients with diabetes that aren't necessarily related to their diabetes, but they trust me. And so they ask me first. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's vital to be connected to multiple communities Absolutely. It's a, a great way. Uh, um, it's a great resource. And, you know, your patients calling you for those other things, that's really a testament to the high quality care that you provide. You're a safe, you're a spa- safe space for them. And I know it, in my practice, my patients will contact me for various reasons. I mean, I, my first practice, when I first got out of school, some patients would bring me just their bills from home uh, because they didn't understand or they would get a letter that they didn't understand, totally unrelated to their health care. But I was a trusted safe space for them to um, that was reliable, uh, that they could ask questions. And so I think it's so important for us as healthcare providers to be whatever our patients need us to be for them to, to make them feel comfortable. Yeah, I think we're all asked that in our practice. I think our patients really feel very comfortable talking to us. I think they feel like even if we don't practice in a certain space, we still may have some understanding and help them work through maybe some of the questions or concerns that they have. I'll have patients bring me information from their other providers that they're seeing, maybe their cardiologist, and say, can I just run this by you really quick? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, there's such an overlap now um, between, you know, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. It used to be we kind of separated those out. And, and now we understand in looking holistically at the whole person, a person living with diabetes is likely living with, uh, if not now, at some point in the future, cardiovascular disease as well. So, you know, you really have to look at that patient as a whole person. And so you do need to understand those things. Absolutely. When you have to have the connection with their other providers so that you're not omitting any important part of their care, but you're also not overlapping and duplicating things. Exactly. So let me ask you a question. Obviously, throughout your nursing and your nurse practitioner career, you have always been one to give back and do more. Um, that's clearly evident from everything we've just talked about. Um, you've also, you also give back to the nurse practitioner community by being a leader, by being a um, Uh, sitting on the board of directors for the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Um, What led you into uh, taking part in in the professional community in that way as as a nurse practitioner leader? I feel it's important to give back, give back to my organization, give back to my fellow colleagues that are nurse practitioners. I think if they do better, I do better, our patients do better. So it's all a full circle for me. Absolutely. And obviously, you would say that that NPs need to get involved in their state and national organizations. I wholeheartedly agree with that. (laughs) I encourage it all the time. And I think it's the only way really to know where there are deficits in healthcare to be a change agent as an individual to help your organization be a change agent. If you're not involved, you aren't really a aware of what's going on. Absolutely. You you remain somewhat naive 
I think. Yeah. And in healthcare, so many things are changing. Uh, rules and regulations change, um, guidelines from CMS and CDC and, and you know, all, all the initials. And so it is important to get involved and be aware because, you know, when guidelines change, you have to stay abreast of, of the current events. And I... Well, I would, go, I would say more than that, you need to be involved in the change. You should be on that board looking at the policy and deciding what things have worked and what things haven't worked and looking at the latest research and evidence to support if a change is needed in how the care is provided. It's not just a matter of being aware of it. You need to be involved. Absolutely. And be an advocate for for patients as well. Agree. Which I think is important. So November is National Diabetes Awareness Month. And it's really an excellent time to raise awareness and educate folks about diabetes. What do you wish every healthcare provider understood about diabetes and how would you recommend these providers communicate these types of things to patients? I think the biggest concern I have with providers intersecting with patients who have diabetes is in their approach. I think still patients who live with diabetes feel like, and what I hear from them on a regular basis, is they are made to feel ashamed for not succeeding in weight loss for having elevated A1Cs, even though they are putting effort in to manage their diabetes and, and improve their health, that oftentimes they are blamed for not being able to implement exercise when really the approach should be, how can we fit increasing activity into your day-to-day routine? How much time do you have? What access do you have? What do you think you're capable of? So I would really want to see us do better as providers, really trying to talk with our patients and try to help them work through these struggles. And I'm going to add, this is a full-time job that they didn't apply for, diabetes. They don't get paid for it. They don't have any vacation days. They don't get sick days. And this is their job. In addition to being a parent, maybe a child, a colleague, and working full-time at their paid job. So it you need to have some compassion and understanding. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, telling somebody, okay, diet and exercise is what you need to do. It, it's That's very easily said, but very hard to do. And for some patients, they can do the diet and exercise, and for some reason that weight just doesn't come off. Yeah, there's a big genetic component to it. Exactly. So it's not that easy. And the diabetes progresses over time. And there's a natural beta cell death that occurs that has nothing to do with whether that individual exercised for 30 minutes or 45 minutes that day. So that needs to be understood. And I think if providers knew more about that, they would understand that some of the change in their diabetes is solely related to that. Absolutely. I agree completely. And also, you know, on the patient side, a lot of misinformation exists online about diabetes cures and causes. How can we all make sure that patients are getting factual scientific information about diabetes? 
I would direct them to the appropriate resources. That's what I do. I typically refer my patients to the American Diabetes Association. I also have referred some of my patients to the American Association of Nurse Practitioners or AANP website. But that's where they know they're going to get factual information. And they should get most of their questions answered there or by you as being their provider. I encourage my patients to utilize the internet. But what I don't want them to do is implement something that they read without us talking about it because we're a team. Yeah. Well, some things are dangerous. It can be. And so I just encourage them to bring it up to me. I tell them no question is a dumb question. We can talk about anything. I'm here for you. That's great. And and, and we should all be have an open door policy like that um, to be that trusted partner with our patients. And Dr. Thompson, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today here on NP Pulse. You are a revered expert in the diabetes world. And as we uh, take notice of National Diabetes Awareness Month, um, thank you for sharing your information. Thank you for recommending these trusted resources that we as providers can use as well as the patients. Um, and thank you for sharing you know, your journey as a professional with us. Absolutely. I was excited to be asked, and I'm glad I got a chance to do this. Thank you for joining us, Angie, and thank you to our listeners. If this episode of NP Pulse has inspired you to learn more about emerging diabetes treatments, visit the AANPCE Center and enroll in the Clinical Advantage Boot Camp, Type 2 Diabetes Management Certificate for Nurse Practitioners. This multi-module activity features five faculty members, including Dr. Thompson, and provides an overview of type 2 diabetes that includes diagnosis, management, and much more. Thank you again for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast, share it with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes, which will include a special suite of daily episodes all throughout NP Week and a special commemorative 100th episode. I'm so excited. As always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm.